which former first lady recently suggested that Trump supporters need to go through deprogramming? Bet you can guess. Plus, the courageous young women on the Roanoke College swim team share the details of the extreme emotional manipulation they were subjected to in an effort to force them into embracing a man competing on their team. And then we talk about the David and Goliath battle going on in Richmond right now to try to arm twist voters into approving a casino. Again, welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, with our president, Victoria Cobb. Well, welcome everybody. Thanks for joining us again for Speak Up Virginia. I think before we dive into our topics today, we did want to just touch on what's going on right now in the Middle East. And just I know all of us are carrying a heavy heart, um, not only for just what this means for world events and the path forward, but also just still grieving the barbaric and horrific atrocities that were committed against these innocent civilians, against, you know, I think we are upwards of a thousand people. Um, the last I checked, I'm sure it's changed by the time we're recording this, of people that were killed, over a hundred at least, uh, hostage, hostages taken. And it was just so hard to listen to the reports and view what those people went through. The um, just unimaginable torture, um, just, depravity that they were subjected to. It's even hard to put words to it. It's hard for us to mentally grasp. So, Victoria, I just, with that said, that's a lot um, to put on you, but I just wanted us to have a chance to kind of digest that and um, process that a little bit with our audience. Yeah, I think it's it's hard to imagine. You see these, these families that had family members taken away or even worse, um, the loss of human life. And so you, you, you watch that, and it's, it's really hard to put ourselves in that, to even be able to relate, to even be able to understand what they're going through, because this is, I mean, in all of Israel's history, this is one of the worst things that's ever happened. And so, and, and it's interesting when you think about, this is a, a country that prepares for this, that has enemies surrounding it on every single border, that knows that at any moment there are people who hate them, that are, you know, so they've, so this is, you know, this is something that they, we're fully aware could happen, and yet when it does, I think it just, I mean, it's just indescribable. It just, you can't even imagine. I mean, they live with regular rockets coming over from mm-hmm. Gaza. They live in a world of sort of unrest in general. They know, but um, what has happened here just reaches a, an entirely mm-hmm. new level. I think it's important that we acknowledge what happened, that we acknowledge the atrocities that were committed and not turn away from that. But. I, I know you've been there, and this really stands out to you because you saw some of these border towns. Tell us about that and how you're processing that. Yeah, I had an amazing opportunity to go over to Israel with a group called APAC, the American-Israeli Political Action Committee. And, and really, um, the purpose of the trip is actually a geopolitical awareness. It is really to help Americans understand Israel and understand all of the enemies between Hamas and Hezbollah and just understand the situation that they're in so that Americans do a good job advocating for support for Israel um, in all the ways that you would expect in funding and, and all sorts of things. And um, you know, we got to go to some places that were really right up against the border and get some military briefings. I think more interesting, though, than even 
the briefings by the military was a moment that we had actually right on the border of Gaza. There is a kibbutz right there, and we actually were able to get a briefing. So a kibbutz is a community, just to you know give some background. Yeah. It's a community that lives together and and kind of works together, and it's sort of an all-encompassing lifestyle there. And um, they were able to really share with us. A, a woman named Chen Abraham just basically um, walked us through what it's like being so close to the border. They have bomb shelters within. You're supposed to be able to get to a bomb shelter within, I think it was three to four seconds. So they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not like, you know, within a quarter of a mile. They are every possible, you know, you've got a playground right next to it as a bomb mm-hmm. shelter. You've got a school right next to it as a bomb shelter. I mean, it's, um, and so it's just a little, just even knowing that you live like that. Right. Um, I think I think we have a picture we can share with our yeah. viewers of just her showing us a game that they play with the kids to normalize this idea that you're gonna have to run into bomb shelters. Yeah. Um, just even think about your kids having to feel like that's normal. And just the picture you had also of a bus bomb shelter. Yes. Just really brought home to me that this is part of their normal day-to-day yes, living. Yes, it's a bus stop, it's a bomb alert. shelter. It's, yeah. Um, and she took out some of the rockets that have come over to kind of show us what mm. comes. I mean, I just, this is a lifestyle for them. And fortunately, this woman was actually out of the country when this attack happened. So she and her family were saved. This kibbutz was, is, is not a good situation. Um, yeah. And um, so you just think about all the lost lives and... Um, yeah, I don't, I, it's, it's hard to know what to say. Yeah, well, one of the things that's been most disturbing watching out of this, and I will just say that, you know, by the time this right. goes airs, there will be more news because it's moving fast. But already, right away, we saw people trying to deny the reality of the atrocity, um, trying to justify it, which is just outrageous. And it was disturbing to see this on a lot of college campuses right here. Yeah, U- I think we got to yeah. talk about our own college campuses here in Virginia, UVA. UVA. I, 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 and maybe there are others, but the UVA one was really disturbing. There's a student group, a pro-Palestine mm-hmm. student group that actually they issued a statement that is just horrific. Um, you know, remember, this is we're talking about a terrorist group. Hamas is a terrorist group. What we have happening is terror. And their statement basically said that these lives lost, that these that this situation is a step towards a free Palestine. Like this is a necessary thing. Um, it was justifying it. And you have to remember, we are talking about attacks on babies, the elderly, those rape of women, hundreds of youth being mowed down. Um, by guns. Yeah. um, Just that anyone would have the mindset of justifying that is shocking. Um, What is your thought on the fact that this does seem to be infiltrating so many of our universities? I think we've known this is there. I mean, there have been sort of there's been this undercurrent in our universities, um, whether or not we thought about them in our Virginia universities. I think Mm -hmm. we like to think of them like Columbia. We're hearing about Columbia and what happened there on the news. We like to think of them as other schools. But um, we know this is the, the academia the, the left wing narrative and just the um, yeah it, it's it's been coming but I think this moment is showing us what's really there and I think parents yeah. of college kids better be really aware of what's happening on your child's campus because this is shocking I was pleased to see I need to I feel like we need to say that the UVA president made a strong supportive statement of Israel and absolutely um, condemned what's happening good. with Hamas so at least at the presidential level that was good um, but we had a UVA professor that's being looked into we don't have all the details at this point but sort of offering extra credit for attending this rally was that what this rally of this, this sort of this this group like the student, this student group, group yeah this, this, this pro-palestine yeah. effort 
And and we know that there are Palestinians right. that are Christians right. that are not going right. to advocate for all of this. But the fact is, you can't justify as a group the terror. Right. <laughs> yes, that is wrong. We need to acknowledge that. I'm glad he came out with that. We'll see if students feel free enough to have a pro-Israel. I mean, that's the that's... question, right? Um, do they only? I, I feel like there's a lot of intimidation where only one side feels free to speak. Well, for... and there's just a moment where I think um, Jewish people are really feeling targeted. And right. so, I mean, I, you know, you hear in the news the rabbi saying, please still come to services. And when you hear that, you think people are actually probably scared. I mean, they're, they're really, and especially at a university in, on campus. Yeah. So I don't know if, if students will feel comfortable, especially if they are actually Jewish, being yeah. able to step out and, and support Israel. And Well, I think that starts with one by one, all of us stepping out, acknowledging what happened, that it's wrong. Um, one though, interesting discussion that I had, it was actually at our board member. There are some very wise people that, um, our board meeting, mm-hmm. it, it was actually at our board meeting. There's some very wise people that we benefit from advising us. And I was having a discussion with one of them and I was just trying to process the level of atrocity and was processing what kind of state do you have to be in to commit these acts? That's what's hard. Um, do, do you have to be on drugs? Do you have to be divorced mentally? Like, you know, separate yourself mentally? Um, do you have to be demonically inspired? I'm trying to process that, you know. And How he, does hate run so deep? Yes. And he looked at me and said, Candy, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but, you know, there's been other examples outside of this of atrocities that you have to think about. And this is where this is the level of depravity that can exist in the human heart. And, I, you know, I know that, but I don't like to look at that. And as I was being disturbed by the fact that too many people want to stick their head in the sand on this, I was really disturbed when this news first came out that people didn't want to say anything. They don't want to look at it. But maybe one reason they don't is because they we don't want to look at the depravity that is in the human heart. That is scary. Right. Well, because we know it's inside of us, too. Right. I mean, not, hopefully not to that degree, but it's innocent and um, until you're redeemed. And yeah. Jesus takes over your heart. It's um, where where it can go is a scary place. And um, I think we see people who their hate is is driving them to actions that are unspeakable. We don't we don't want to look at the ugliness of sin in the human heart. We don't. We'd like to think that it's not there. Right. Um, but one scripture that did encourage me that I just want to share with you all today. Hopefully, it will encourage you was first John, what was it, <laughs> just 2A, two. Yeah, yeah, we were just looking at it, um, and it talks about the darkness is there, but the light is shining in the darkness. Actually, I want to just pull that up and get the exact verse. Jesse, if you already have it up. Uh, oh, here it is. Okay. The darkness is passing. This is what it says, First John 2.8. And the true light is already shining. I, I just, that really spoke to me in my morning Bible reading because I thought, I'm so disheartened by this darkness and the reality of it. But in eternity, in, a, in an eternal perspective, the darkness is passing. The true light is already here, and it's Jesus. And I just pray in the midst of all this, um, as people grapple with how to go forward, that we have that light. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I and I and I think there are gospel opportunities happening even in Israel right now as there's just such tragedy. Um, we know there are, there are missions groups over there that are being the, the hands and feet of Jesus to people that are yeah, struggling. Yeah, that's right. We need so. to be in prayer for them. All right. Well, we just wanted to kind of touch on that, but moving on into today's topics, 
I wanted to start out with a an update on these very brave swim team captains from Roanoke College. You know, we talked about them a couple of episodes ago, but there's been another update, and I think it's important to cover. If you remember, we talked about the Virginia High School League, which is the organization that kind of governs high school sports and sets policy for them. Well, they have this existing policy that essentially allows boys to compete on girls' teams. And there has been a proposal for them to repeal that and replace it with language that more aligns with these um, Yunkin revisions to how transgender issues are handled in school, which would be a much fairer approach for girls' um, competitive teams. And so that's um, what was going on when we first heard about these young ladies. And actually, our speak-up team in Charlottesville put the word out that public comment was needed at this Virginia High School League meeting where they were considering this. And these swim team captains stepped up and were willing to share their testimony. Now, I'm just going to read their comment in part. We're going to put that a little an excerpt from it on the screen so you can follow along, just so you can get an idea of what they said at that time. They said, the rule makers have allowed my team to be manipulated, blindsided and pressured into silently accepting unfair treatment and unfair competition as we head into our competitive season. We have been blackmailed and asked to carry the responsibility of one of one male athlete's mental health and well-being at the expense of our own. This has been too great a burden to bear for many of our teammates who have lost hours of sleep, many tears, and the will to train against a swimmer who has an advantage in the water our bodies can never possess. Now, Victoria, at the time, I'm hearing these words, emotional blackmail, that they're losing sleep, and I'm thinking... I, I get why that's not fair, but I, I don't know if I'm quite understanding the emotional distress until I heard the rest of their story. Yeah. So not long after that situation, Lily and, and Bailey were joined. Those are the two swim captains. Yeah. They were joined by their colleague, Kate, as well as some team members. And um, we'll put a picture up of them so you can kind of see them. But um, they joined together and they came together in a press conference. It was just a couple of, uh, just shortly after that. And they described exactly what kind of emotional pressure that they've been enduring. And basically, as it was reported in the Daily Mail, at one point, their coach basically called a meeting of the entire swim team, the whole squad, at, which included the male and the female members. And, um, and oh, I'm sorry, it was the male swim team and the female swim team and also the, the transgender and also the transgender individual. Yeah. And, Kate tried to explain the student's sort of perspective, the female student's point of view. And basically, they just said that they supported the transgender person as an individual, but when it came to female competition, right, when that when that was a case, they didn't feel that it was biologically fair, that it wasn't fair to put his body up against theirs. And they gave some statistics to try to explain why they felt this way. And then what happened next is is really just appalling. All right, so I'm just going to say kind of what happened next based on what the Daily Mail had in a, a quote from their article. So it says, and after I was done speaking, the individual, so just speaking of the transgender individual, immediately jumped up and started saying, I was suicidal. I wanted to kill myself. I wanted to jump off the building of Trexler, which is one of the, their, our science buildings here. She explained to reporters how there was immediate silence and, and, and she froze. And she said, I was like, I don't know how to respond to that. And I looked towards the two coaches and the athletic director waiting for them to say something, and nothing happened. Yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> let's just get the picture here. These 
young girls have been going to their administrators, to their coach, saying, we are not comfortable with this. We, we feel discouraged about our chances to compete. They're not being listened to. And instead, they're told, okay, well, you need to bring your concerns in this big to meeting. To the whole, to everybody. Yeah. Let's air them all out in and, front of this person. And this male is going to be here, um, you know, too. And listen to everything you're saying. You're going to be on the spot. So um, she shares and tries to share in a compassionate way we value you as a person but biologically speaking we feel this isn't fair based essentially is what the point she was making and then this response i mean imagine that pressure you're sitting there of course you wouldn't know what to say and it sounds like the administrators just left her hanging out to dry at that point <laughs> fend for yourself yeah i can't Im I, I can't imagine the scenario um maybe we should listen to one of the clips of what the captains are yeah, saying yeah I, I will mention one thing though <laughs> right so right after this whole conversation happens she shared how they were told to take out their cell phones and do a straw poll right there and everybody vote whether this biological male should be allowed on the female team and of course everybody pretty much everyone said yes because the person's there they just had this very emotional conversation involving suicide but later they're telling each other we're not really comfortable with it. So I think emotional blackmail is fair, right? The phrase that they used. I, I, yeah, you would think that's strong. But what are you supposed to do with someone who says, I'm suicidal? And it's basically, Wait. you're there. You're supposed to fix this by letting yeah. me compete against you and, and destroy your chances at a championship. And they did leave that on the girls' shoulders Yeah, I they, think, by I doing mean, that. Absolutely. And the fact that no adults knew that the way they handled this was so heavy on those girls is is just inappropriate. Or they didn't care. I, I'm sorry to say that. I, but I don't know. I can't yeah. even imagine coaches thinking this was an acceptable. And then a straw poll. Like, it's some kind of, like, it's a democracy. We'll just all vote. Like, after we've had this heavy emotional no, thing. No other considerations about biology ah. or fairness. Yeah, just vote. Popularity vote. Um well, like you brought up the, the clip we yeah. have. Uh, I believe this is Bailey speaking about what that process was like for her. So let's just listen to her for a minute. Throughout the last month, the women's team and I have felt manipulated, helpless, angry, confused, upset, guilted, and most importantly, unheard. The early meetings that I attended were not productive. We listened, we spoke, and then quickly learned it was not okay to speak our mind. We were somehow wrong in our feelings. After those meetings, I would feel as though my words were manipulated, my feelings cast aside, and I believed that my voice had made no difference. Even worse, the voice of almost every single woman on my team did not matter because there was only one person who did. We were silenced. Where was our right to be considered? Where was our right to be seen as valuable? And most importantly, where was our right to compete fairly? All right. Well, I did see a report that came out that the male student asking to be on the female team has withdrawn that request. So, you know, good for the women for not giving into pressure to stick into their guns. But this affects more than them. This issue is bigger than just this one swim team. How do you think what do you think the impact will be on the NCAA and also the Virginia High School League? Yeah, so this is the thing. We need brave people to come and step up and tell their experiences. And so these girls being willing to do this is really important because I think it's easy for administrators to hide behind politically correct things and just have policies that they think, you know, placates the the, the one individual that's um, transgender and just don't it ignores the feelings of the other. So I think it's really important. Um, I do think there's just so much working on 
in this area in policy. So around the country, every state is battling what is their policy going to be. We certainly here in Virginia have had legislation trying to save girls' sports. And um, in every state, it's it's a battle over the concept. It's also a battle over whether we're going to apply this just to K-12 or whether we can actually apply this to our state colleges. So this is all these are all major battles. We were unsuccessful this past year, so we it's still, in Virginia, as we talked about, this is still the policy of the High School Sports League, and obviously we still have a problem at the collegiate level. Um, 22 states have actually saved girls' sports, so to speak, so that's exciting to see that it is moving. So um, we're behind. We're behind. <laughs> this is often the case. It's very frustrating that we um, are in this state that struggles to get what we think are common sense things and that poll really well in Virginia. This is an issue that a majority of Virginians really support. They believe it is unfair for girls to have to compete against boys and they do think that the adults have to step in and protect those girls yeah you know it strikes me when I was saying maybe the administrators just didn't care that it, all the weight was on them well number one we need this legislation to take that weight right off. but number two maybe it's not so much they don't care as the skewing of perspective when you put an agenda ahead of actual facts biological facts and you see this on the the parental rights issue with transgenderism as well in the in the lower schools that um, the agenda starts to take over from basic safety needs. Well, there's a reason that our campaign was protect every kid because yeah. what happens is the administrators hear from one perspective and they don't think about the harm that happens to all the other kids who are in a bathroom that yeah. is not safe for them, is not a protected space for their biological gender or they're on a sports scene that they can't compete. They tend to hear one perspective instead yeah. of protecting every kid. Right. That's what happens when a sexual agenda drives things. Yeah. Well, moving on to a completely different subject, some of our listeners might remember when we were talking about this huge victory we had defeating efforts to push a casino into Richmond. Well, now it's here again, like this zombie monster rising again, this whole thing is rearing its ugly head again. All right, Victoria, what, seriously, what is going on? Yeah, well, let me set the context. If folks might remember, there was a piece of legislation that passed that allowed for the first time up to five localities to consider putting a casino in. And the way they would do that is taking it to the, the people. So they would go on a localized ballot. And so two years ago, we had a referendum in five places. And, of course, lots of the cities passed them. But Richmond actually blocked it. And we were part of that effort to stop the casino. And it was... Again, very narrowly divided, so literally 50 point something to 49 point something. So this was a neck and neck, razor thin battle. And it was, as all these casino battles are, deeply outfunded one side to the other. So, I mean, they spent millions upon millions and our little anti-casino side spent roughly in the neighborhood of like $200,000. I mean, we were so outspent, but we said no. The city said no, and unfortunately... They have worked through a bunch of corrupt politicians and backdoor deals and all that, and they are putting it right back on the ballot, and Richmond has to say no again this year. Okay, first, I think people need to really understand what an amazing victory that was. Like you said, it truly was David versus Goliath. Why did David win? What do you think, really? Why didn't people want it? Well, hopefully the message that we were sending got out to people, which is that casinos bring crime, they bring sex trafficking, they bring things into your city, they promise all these great things, but they bring in so much harm. And so we tried to hit that the doors with that message. We tried to hit people's phones with that message. I mean, we really worked hard to make sure people understood what was really on the table because it looks enticing every time they come with all the flash and money. Yeah. So 
that's um, that's the challenge. Yeah. Well, they are making some pretty big promises, and I think the average person would probably wonder, why are we opposing this? Let me just throw out some of the things they're promising, and it does sound pretty good. At least $30 million in revenue for the city, more than 1,000 good-paying jobs. We keep hearing the good-paying jobs. Um, and a nice little 55-acre public park in Southside Richmond. And when you see these beautiful drawings they're putting out there they of this park, you, you know, you just kind of <laughs> wonder, that doesn't look like anything we have in Richmond. So, you know, it, it looks pretty fictional, quite frankly. Um, <laughs> but, how, again, people might think we're crazy if someone, if people are hearing these promises, good-paying jobs, it's going to increase revenue for the city. How do you articulate if the average person articulate why they are opposing this. Yeah, I, I think it's very easy to be lured by the glamour, but the reality is that with gambling comes deep, deep problems in the local community. So they make it sound like it's going to be this big tourism thing. They make it sound like people are going to come from all over and they're going to use all the Richmond restaurants and they're going to hang out at the casino and they're going to drive all this revenue. The reality is the local area then struggles with addiction themselves. And it breaks down families because you right there, people who struggle with addiction now have it in their backyard. And so what actually happens is addiction starts creeping in, crime starts creeping in, and what you end up having is the city ends up, people actually end up paying about $3 for every $1 they gain in the socioeconomic costs that come with family breakdown, yeah. that come with the crime that comes to the casino area. And so people just, it's a, it's a long-term understanding but you got to get past the glitz and the glamour and how beautiful it looks. Is it fair to say sex, do we know, do we have data on sex trafficking yes. coming in with casinos? Yes. I mean, I hate to say it, but these things all come together. It's very, like, the, the, things run in, 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 in sets of, of multiples. Let's just put it this way. And so, yes, we know that sex tra trafficking increases. We know that crime increases. We're already seeing that. Actually, um, we were talking about this the other day and what's going on in the Portsmouth area with their casino. Mm -hmm. um, the reality is... Um, where there's money and addiction, yes, that's I mean you got money that's and really addiction. The line. Yeah, that's the bottom line, and it just breaks down so many things. And so it's a really devastating thing that looks like it's glamorous. And they're well, promising lots of jobs, and they're promising unionized jobs, which has become the newest thing. And unions entering the entertainment industry in Richmond will also be a problem for all sorts of other entertainment facilities in Richmond, like the convention center yeah. and others that all of a sudden have to compete and we'll find that everything okay. becomes unionized. Oh, that's interesting. That's a whole different level of problem. But Well, ultimately, I do feel like it's a form of cannibalizing on your own citizens. If you're trying to increase revenue off of exploiting or bringing in, um, creating a situation of exploitation off of other people so some people can benefit off the vulnerability of others, that's one problem I have with it. Well, and the other thing, too, is that people forget and they, th and they think, okay, we need all these jobs. And sure, Richmond does need more jobs. Yeah. What they need city leaders to do is make a city that lures in great industry, industry that is beneficial. Yeah. It is not an option. It, this is not a a um, false choice. So what they're doing is they're setting up a scenario where it's the casino or no jobs. No, the alternative is that the city gets its act together and they lure in good industry and people get jobs that create wealth and prosperity that don't also take down the families with them. That is the alternative. And I just get frustrated that people buy into the, the what they're being sold. Yeah, because 
we have failed in this other area, there, there has been leadership failure in exactly what you're saying, yes. um, that we're just going to go the easy route, exploitive route. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yeah, and casinos always lucky. go down over time, right? Yeah. So they, 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 at the beginning, they're very, very attractive. They lure in a bunch of money, and then it, you just watch the whole area get suppressed. Mm-hmm. I mean, Atlantic City. I'm getting sad thinking is, about because yeah. we, all, we all live right here. So yes, yeah. exactly. It's not exactly our first choice of what's going to come to our area. Well, the good news is our action team is making a valiant effort to yeah. defeat the zombie again. Um, they have a Still No Casino coalition that they are part of to help educate people about everything that we just talked about. And I did want to share a digital ad that they've got circulating right now. Um, let's just watch that for a minute. Heavily outspent by outside special interests, Richmond voters still said no to the casino. Don't let big money and corrupt officials think they can buy your vote. Casinos lure crime, sex trafficking, drug trafficking. They're back with twice the money to sell you a bigger, fake deal. They couldn't hoodwink us last time. Don't let them do it now. Stand against corruption. This is our city, our future, our choice. Stand with the Richmond Anti-Corruption League. Say no to the casino again. All right, Victoria, that ad references big money, being spent by outside interest groups on this casino effort, the effort to push it through. And I want you to tell us about what we're talking about with this big money. Yeah, I think the first go around they had a couple million. Now they've already basically invested $8 million. And they say they may put up to $20 million to to, to persuade the electorate. So we we don't know until this thing's over how much money they actually spent. And then, of course, the unions are donating $800,000 also of their effort and whatever. Um, So this is not a small thing. When When you get to the end of this, I mean, it will be sort of a... Uh, an insane, like you said, David and Goliath, except we thought it was last time. Now this will be times I don't even yeah. know what till we're done. And the sad part is if they have to do all of that to convince people this is good, it should tell you something, right? I mean, right. that's the disturbing just... part. So we're really hoping that Richmond voters continue to say no. They said no once. Let's say it again. Yeah. And a lot of that money is going apparently toward door knocking. Oh, to, yeah. I mean, that's is that oh, yeah. kind of unusual to spend all of that on they are, door knocking? They are hitting the doors. They are hitting the billboards. They are hitting the bus yeah. wraps. They are hitting the uh, television. I mean, they have gone all out. And um, they just think if they show enough glamour and glitz that people will get on board. And now they've thrown in, oh, and we'll build some daycares. Right? right? So like, we're even getting into like using children to like pass this casino. Wh- why do they want this so bad? I, because I, I think the city, I think the city leaders want it because they've got deals with the casino folks. I think there's kickbacks. I'm, there's a, it is not a clean industry. That is, okay. I, I can just tell you, there's a lot of money to be had by all. Look at all the <laughs> examples of how casinos have gone in other areas, yeah. and let's just put it this way: it is not an up and up kind of business. All right. Well, what can people do, Victoria? Is there any way that people can chip in here? Well, yeah, absolutely. Now, I know it's a small portion of our listening audience, you know, and our viewing audience here. But obviously, if you're in Richmond, we need you to care. We need you to tell your neighbors. We've got signs you can put in your yard, all these things. And then just generally, if this isn't, this is our capital city in Virginia here. So this is not just any city. This is central Virginia at our capital where we hope to highlight the best of what is in Virginia. And so we do hope other folks will go to the website at at stillnocasino.com and consider uh, donating to this so we can be a little closer to <laughs> you know the, the crazy amounts of money but yeah um, anything pe- folks can do we, we appreciate well it's that time again time for our inconceivable moments award this is where we're featuring examples of the absolute lunacy and craziness that happens when cultural leaders try to give guidance completely apart from biblical principles and we're calling this the liberals most inconceivable moments award 
Inconceivable! All right, well, for today's Inconceivable, we have another entertaining example of leftists saying the quiet part out loud. And this time, it's coming from everybody's all-time favorite, <laughs> Hillary Clinton. Yeah, that's right. So during an interview with CNN's Christiane Amapur, she basically called for Trump supporters to be subjected to cult deprogramming. So let's just listen to her own words. Those mega extremists um, take their marching orders from Donald Trump, who has no credibility left by any measure. He's only in it for himself. He's now defending himself in civil actions and criminal actions. And when do they break with him? You know, because at some point, you know, maybe there needs to be a formal deprogramming of the cult members, but something needs to happen. And I don't even know where to start with this, that someone would actually say out loud an entire group of people needs to go through cult deprogramming just because of their political leanings. Um, there's that. But the scary thing is, from the best that I could tell, she looks perfectly serious. It doesn't look like she's saying it tongue-in-cheek. So I was a little concerned by that, that this is, you know, looks like a serious proposal. And then what does she mean by deprogramming? Is that like just uh, sensitivity training or is this North Korea re-education? I wasn't really sure. Well, remember, this is the same person that put all the deplorables in a box. And remember, I mean, you got you to gotta look at who's who's talking here. But, I mean, we can laugh about this, but there is... A very real effort, I would say, uh, towards sensitivity training, right? For there, there, we know that, that there is a perspective, an ideology that says, if you believe this, we need to get you fixed. We need to, yeah. to alter your thinking because you are, and I won't name all the names that we, that we get, but it's actually, and it's happening a lot in education. It happens, it slips a little bit into the, into the workplace on LGBT issues, right? Like we got to do a little bit of sensitivity training on that. And so it is a little bit of a frightening pattern. And for her to say it with a straight face. Yeah, I seem to remember that Baker in Colorado. I think one of the things they were trying oh, to force Oh, sensitivity training. Yes, exactly. That was you one of the punishments. You won't bake the cake, get the training. Yeah. So the the scary thing about it, you know, we like you said, we laugh about it. But when a significant amount of people think that you should force people to be reprogrammed, their thought, their, you know, compelled thought training, um, it's like we learn nothing from history. I think that's the thing is we joke around about these things as if they've never happened in a way that is horrifying, right? We know that the idea that everybody needs to think the same never leads to a good place in history. And I, I mean, it's replete with examples, but the fact that we can say, and, and in America, right? Like we, we are the bastion of freedom of speech and freedom of thought and the idea that we're just not taking that seriously, that we have people that are joking about like, and I, we don't know that she was joking, right? Like people that are actually saying in any context that that people should get their thinking realigned to a narrative that they like it's about power they value that power more than freedom but i do want to point out something else mrs clinton also said during the interview she said that donald trump quote has no credibility left by any measure and and then she went on to say he's only in it for himself now i think we can all agree that there's, there's some fair criticism yeah, of president <laughs> trump on a number of things right. so let's start there let's start there but it's especially rich coming from the clintons <laughs> i this is the thing i mean if there was sort of the beginning well i don't want to say the beginning of moral slide there's been moral slide for forever but just I mean, the Clintons haven't always been on the up and up, and everybody knows that. And so it's just amazing to me that she feels comfortable criticizing others. I just think we all need to be really careful 
again, lots to criticize about Trump and many of the people that have been in power, but it's kind of like she's got this this superiority, like, I think right, and therefore I should be the one helping everyone else think right. And let me just tell you about these other crazy people that think something different. I mean, pretty much on everything Trump has been criticized for, they've pretty much had almost the exact same, if not very similar issues, right? Well, we certainly have laptops I mean, and servers and, you know, yeah. all these things in their direction. And, you know, uh, yeah. So, all right, we, we can talk about, um, yeah, equality in that regard, but... Um, I also thought it would just be fun to mention, you know, they one word she used was MAGA extremists. I think of course. that's Clinton, a popular word. They, love and they throw that anybody out. into that. Um, they, anybody into that. They category. hate the slogan, make America great again. Right. But I just wanted to get your comment because my my husband and I had visited Stanton and uh, had the opportunity to go through Woodrow Wilson's home and museum there, which I didn't know was there till you know, I yeah, visited. that's a lesser known yeah. site in Virginia, I would say. Well, we saw that this whole um, idea, the initiative of making America foremost, did not actually necessarily start with the Republicans. And I saw this little slogan, which we're going to put on the screen. I took a picture of it, America first. So I would just like to point out that the idea of America being um, having that be priority is not an original idea to Donald Trump. No, and it's not even an original idea to America, meaning that you would want most countries should want their citizens to want the best for their country and for their country to be at its greatest right so this concept and certainly in america this idea that we that we are proud of a lot of not everything america is not perfect it has not been perfect it's not going to be perfect but there's a lot that america has done for the world that we should be proud of that we and we do want it to shine mm. in a variety of ways now it's hard because now that slogan is so tightly tied mm. to, to president trump that if you're you know if you're not a you know staunch president trump supporter you kind of like are hesitant about that phrase now which is kind of unfortunate mm. because i think a lot of us want to make america great regardless of where we stand on right. all the details of who trump is and what he's doing and yeah, today's latest whatever's going on with the president but it it is it's been it's been going on for a long time and it's important that we care about our country yeah well with that said one way you can care about your country is to get out there and early vote so i'm going to throw that plug in make sure you get our voter guide and i just want to thank everybody for joining us today for another episode of speak up virginia don't forget you can help us out by sharing the Speak Up Virginia playlist that helps us get the show out to more people, um, get more people educated what's really going on. And if you are on Apple or Spotify or some of those audio-only versions, be sure to give us a review, a five-star review, because that also uh, helps the program get out there to more people. Thanks for joining us. Remember, we are stronger when we speak together.